Welcome to Illuminate Greatness, the podcast that explores the latest trends in marketing and public relations and highlights the most positively powerful brands and people who are making a difference in our world. And now your host, entrepreneur, marketing and public relations expert, advocate, spiritual explorer, mother, and founder of Olive Creative Strategies, Jennifer Borba von Stauffenberg. Welcome to Illuminate Greatness. I am particularly excited. Actually, I think I say that at the beginning of every interview, but I am really overjoyed today to be connecting with Dave Oates from PR Security Service. I've known Dave for over 20 years. He is another one of those people that worked at McCorder Group when I was an intern and has stayed in touch with me and has been such an important mentor in my career. And I know in so many others. Dave possesses nearly 30 years of strategic public relations experience, dealing with a wide array of adverse public relations events and public events. But the reason we're talking today is because Dave is the best, the absolute best in crisis communications. And I know for myself, anytime I ever have a crisis situation, I contact Dave and I want to share his background because I think it really sets up for a great explanation of why he is so exceptional at this. He started as a U.S. Navy public affairs officer and later as a corporate chief marketing officer and nonprofit president. He excels in expertly addressing a myriad of crises that span sports, entertainment, nonprofit, military, government, corporate, education, charity, and startup environments. His crisis communications experiences include handling contentious matters involving highly visible, multi-generational, family-owned enterprises, as well as employee and executive misconduct, cybersecurity attacks, product recalls, mass layoffs, large-scale accidents, criminal investigations, and civil litigation matters. He's a sought-after speaker. He has served as a lecturing professor teaching the semester-long PR media and messaging course to upper division undergraduates at SDSU, which San Diego State University. And he's authored several Amazon eBooks and co-produced four LinkedIn learning courses. He's an accredited PR specialist, and he has his MBA from San Diego State University and his bachelor's from University of Maryland. You have done so many incredible things over the years, but I am particularly excited that you're taking time for us today to talk about communication. I'm thrilled and you flatter me and I'm I'm a little, not embarrassed, but I'm certainly overwhelmed by your kindness to call me a mentor. I was going to say, I'm a huge fan of you and what you've accomplished in your career and to the heights that you have achieved, not only by yourself, but with the other people that you employ, you have such a great vibe and such a great energy and do such good work. It's just great to catch up with you, Jen. Thanks so much, Dave. That's so nice of you to say, but I want you to know, I look to you every time I have been in a difficult situation, you are the person I have called. And I really respect so much about what you do. You've taught me over the years, some really powerful lessons about my personal connection to clients and how to draw the line. And maybe that's a really good place to start because I actually don't always know how you do it. Number one, I want to hear about that part. Like when the crisis happens, how do you separate yourself from 
the mayhem that is sometimes around you. I mean, over the last two plus years, we dealt with a lot of things. I mean, people like me were dealing with crisis for the first time in a major way. And you were handling the hard parts. We were handling like, I would say, sort of like the everyday stuff that everyone was dealing with. And how do you stay focused when everything is going wild? I appreciate the question. I guess the first part of that answer is you have to recognize that it's not necessarily my crisis. There's a pitfall to that, obviously, because I don't want to necessarily be disconnected and unempathetic to the organization that I have the privilege of serving. But if I get absorbed in the emotions behind it, I can't do my job. So there's something to be said about sort of drawing a line, at least emotionally for me and mentally, is to say, I need to assess this as an outsider would so I can objectively come up with the right solution. And I need to do it right away because oftentimes I get the call when the house is figuratively, if not literally on fire. So I've got to assess it. I would say much in the same way that anyone who sort of finds themselves in a position, and I apologize if people take exceptions to this because I do not pretend to be a first responder, a law enforcement official, or you know somebody in a, at a fire station or something like that. But when they go into a situation where there's a house that's burning or there's a big matter that is involving people and the emotion running high, as I understand it, law enforcement officials will want to engage that individual, but not necessarily absorb their emotions, their anxiety, because it prevents them from doing their job. And I would say that rings similar to me and to how I will approach a situation that while it's not mine, I need to certainly engage somebody empathetically, but not absorb all of that emotions. And so you got to you learn over time to put up shields for that. Now, maybe I also at the end of a crisis, in many respects, I will find opportunities to decompress from that intense moment because they are intense. And just in the last couple of years alone, I've managed the communications to families and media for 55 nursing homes during COVID when they were ground zero. That was intense. And I found at the end of every day, I'd have to do a little bit of a workout, even if it was literally just a series of sit-ups and push-ups or things like that, something that could be five, 10 minutes, depending on how much time I had, but something to get my mind out of my own way and get perspective back in. So yeah, I'd say that's the big thing that I do on a basis. And hopefully, at least I get good feedback. I think by and large, I achieve a good balance of not absorbing that, but being somebody that people feel comfortable in expressing sometimes their deepest, darkest fears in the middle of a crisis, mm-hmm. right? Especially when the crisis involves something that's personal to them, their own business, their own organization, things that are an extension of their personal self, their brand. Somebody's calling their reputation the question, they will understandably take that personally. But it's a balance. I've done it for a while. So hopefully I've I've mastered at least a good part of that. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the key coaching things that you brought into my career early on is that I think I was in a small crisis and I talked to you and you just said, Hey, Jen, it's not your crisis. Make sure that you keep yourself separate. And when I have young professionals on my team who are growing and we know how passionate PR professionals can be and they care about Mm -hmm. everything, you know, a TV segment gets canceled and they're so passionate and personally invested. I can hear your voice in my head saying, listen, 
it's not your TV segment that got canceled. Make sure you keep your personal emotions out of it. And it's, oh, it's so great that you're passionate, but let's stay realistic about boundaries. And I want them to stay mentally healthy. And so we talk about how to do that. And it really has come from you that I have even learned that skill. I think it's sort of this, especially at Olive, we always choose clients that we really believe in and that we're really aligned in. And it's all usually positive. But when difficult things happen, when you're sort of taking on that piece about endorsing brands and being on the team, suddenly sometimes that line gets crossed where you feel personally invested. And so that tip has been so helpful in, in keeping balance, even on just simple things like a canceled segment. So I appreciate that. I'm grateful to be a part of that. I will tell you one other thing that I think really helps me in that regard is when I get called in for a crisis, I've had the privilege and I call it such over, you know, my Navy days, as you mentioned, and then the private sector days when we worked at the marketing agency together and then in-house. And then since then on my own to see a lot of different crises and you name it, I've seen some of it from criminal activities, homicides to white collar crime, some points in between in healthcare. And the thing that I think helps me is that very quickly, I usually can figure out at least a path to, if not make things right, make things less bad. Like there's a path way through this. If I can help the organization and the entities or the individuals communicate their way through it, get back to normal operations, I can help them diffuse their anxiety. And a lot of times the anxiety and the fear that people feel, not me, certainly notwithstanding, is when you don't know what to do. You really are unsure as to the next steps and you feel powerless, you feel disconnected, you feel as if there is no way out of this. And hopefully my counsel into clients to be able to show them a way forward diffuses some of that anxiety and fear and therefore makes it better for everybody. And again, doesn't mean that I can make it completely right or I can make it all back to the way it was before. Sometimes the bad is what it is, right? And sometimes it's really not good, but at least I can tell them where bottom can be if we do this right and give them a opportunity to then get back to normal operations and get back to where they used to be even if it's a matter of time to get there. A lot of times that really helps as well. Of course. Or even just sometimes people are so blocked. I know there have been moments where a crisis has hit and you almost black out. You just get that moment and then you can't, you're so focused on the problem, you can't see a different outcome. And one of the things that I've witnessed in your work is how you're able to create a vision of an outcome to have them look past the problem. And I think it's so important for people to be able to see something past what's right in front of them immediately. Yeah, there's sometimes debates with organizations that I work with because they'll have an idea in their head, not necessarily the correct one, where they (laughs) think we can make this go away, as I call it. And sometimes I go, no. In fact, not only can you not make it go away, tell you, you can at least make it shorter if you engage with messaging and transparent communications that are empathetic and action-oriented. And again, by empathy, I don't mean culpability. But if you can engage with that one, I can turn this thing that would be two weeks of bad into two days that are bad and allow you to get back to normal operations. And that's what I keep telling organizations and individuals that I'm privileged to serve. I want to get you back to normal operations as quickly as I can, and I will do so with the communications vehicle. But it doesn't mean there's not going to be pain. But I promise you, the pain that you'll endure now, if we do this right, will be far less than the pain 
that you'll endure later on. If you say no comment, start arguing publicly, point counterpoint, vehemently deny everything, even though there's a modicum of truth. Because as my grandmother said, there's three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth. And if you categorically deny anything <laughs> for your perspective, somebody will come up with that little nugget of truth that was information that's now been blown out of proportion and your entire narrative is shot. So please, let's figure out where the modicum of truth is. Let's address that in an empathetic and action-oriented way, get back to normal operations and make this as less painful as it can. Now, I should say, there are occasions where I can make things good again. And I did so for a doctor wrongfully accused of stealing vaccines in Houston because of an overzealous district attorney and county public health agency, which overstepped their bounds and really did a disservice to their constituents. I was able to, with the help of their attorney staff, right that wrong and position this good doctor as the hero that he was because they were truly out of bounds and they were truly wrong. But that's the exception to the rule. Sometimes organizations do something that you should just take ownership of and move on, but we can get you through it. So that helps. That's great. So I want to get later to that question of when to comment, when not to comment, and if there are any guidelines for making that decision. But first, I want to talk a little bit about when the crisis hits. I feel like when the crisis hits, you're already a step behind. So can you talk about how people can prepare for a crisis? I think sometimes people think it's never going to happen to me, but what are some safeguards that can be in place to support people in finding things out quickly, knowing things are happening and how to be proactive? Like what are the proactive things that can be done? I spent a lot of time telling organizations of all sizes, right? Small mom and pop shops, regional nonprofits to big, 100 million, half a billion dollar entities that if you think that an issue isn't going to be a crisis, think again. Any organization of any size for any issue can be taken down by an Instagram post, by a glass store review, by a LinkedIn comment. All of those things is now at the disposal of everybody who is their own broadcaster, thanks to these wonderful little devices that we carry around that have a microphone, a camera, and thanks to everybody's social media accounts and distribution systems. So they have to think about it as not a question of a remote if, it's a question of when. So look at your inherent business risks, inherent operational risks. Every organization has one, right? Even if it's simply a matter of the employees and the people that you interact or delivering your goods or services or manufacturing or producing your goods and services, you have inherent risks on that. Look at what that is and figure out what may go wrong, and in addition to your regular disaster recovery strategies, you should include a communication plan. And that communication plan has to address messaging for each of your individual audiences, not just your customers and not just the media. It has to also be your business partners. And oh, by the way, your first priority should be your staff. If you do not communicate effectively to your staff, you do not arm them with the necessary information to be able to convey it to all the other audiences because they're likely to talk to them more so than the C-suite or anyone else who's removed from the day-to-day activities. And I see most organizations do the opposite. They focus on the press release and sort of almost as a, oh, by the way, may convey something one time to their staff members. It should be the opposite. Your staff is always priority in a crisis communication because they can be so valuable to you. More to the point, if you don't 
address the issue with them first. When people call in and ask what's going on, their answer is going to be, I have no idea. No one's talked to me. And they're going to be disenfranchised. They're going to likely be annoyed by that. And it will certainly damage anything you're saying publicly in the eyes of the other audience. It's going to go, well, the police don't know what's going on. Or these people really have their act together? And the answer is no, because of the way that they moved on there. So you need to practice this. It doesn't come naturally to a lot of organizations, a lot of individuals. Look at those setup plans and then train to those. Figure out how you're going to receive the inquiries. When are you going to respond to those? Who is going to be the one that does so? And are they ready for those gotcha questions, those questions with the inherent bias that everybody has when they hear of something or see something that automatically triggers the question, who missed something, who didn't do something, who tried to screw somebody over? That's just how people think. And it's helpful to prepare for those in advance. And I would say a necessity. Most organizations will call me when, as I mentioned before, the house is figuratively, if not literally, on fire. That's okay. We can still help them. It's just more costly, more painful. It takes more time. So in terms of that first thing that they need to do when they have that plan, other than call you, is there a typical like or a standard recommendation? You talk about having the messaging for staff, but there's something that has to happen before staff. The, the messaging needs to be created. Who are the stakeholders who should be in that conversation? And does that include the legal team? Where do you start? Oh, yeah. I think, first off, it should include your entire C-suite. So everybody who has a stake in the business entity, and that includes, you're right, legal. That also includes operation. It certainly includes your salespeople and your customers, or if you're a nonprofit, your donor and your fulfillment services. And yeah, it should also include your employee relations people, your HR. And if that HR responsibility falls sort of underneath one of the other C-levels, you're going to want to bring that individual up for the conversation. So it isn't going to encompass people having at the C-level and understanding about what everybody else's role will be in that one, because you can't operate a crisis communication in a silo. People will text and talk and chatter and post and go back and forth. And if you're trying to isolate a situation to just talk to one entity, I guarantee you it's not going to be successful because there's way too many interdependencies within a organization, a functional or dysfunctional organization. Their independencies are, are by design or by default, but they will transcend different departments, different entities inside and outside your organization's walls. And you've got to bring all of those in. I deal a lot with legal because there is certainly going to be a debate as to what we're willing to say openly and transparently and proactively versus what the legal liability is. And I get that. For every organization, there are always inherent risks to talking more. And I guess the rule of thumb I would say is that if you're trying to preserve your legal risk, reduce the legal risk to the point that your brand is completely in tatters, your reputation is unrepairable, then you have to ask the question, what is it you're preserving? Because I have seen way too many organizations be so concerned about the opportunities for liability risk that they permanently eliminate business opportunities. And I say business in the general sense for you know nonprofit organizations. You will run the risk of never getting that revenue stream, whether it's for customers or donors or other people's services, ever back again because no one's going to trust you. Yeah, you're not going to get sued. But ultimately, are you going to continue on as the same entity you were before? And I think that's the litmus test that needs to be addressed. And it needs to be addressed at the season level, because that's where it starts. You give me a little anxiety just thinking about it. Question about no comment. 
often people say they don't want to comment. They feel like it isn't worth their time and times have changed. So can you address if there are ever times that no comment is an appropriate response? I think there are a few instances. They are far and fewer than most organizations believe. And I would say to you, it is if the entity that is asking you to comment is such that they're using you to increase their own stature. I'll give you an example. I've got a nonprofit out in New York that has a small activist group that is taking exceptions to what they perceive to be their operational policies and practices. Now, the entity, the activist group is wrong. They have their facts completely incorrect. And that has as much to do with the fact that this nonprofit has not done a very good job by their own admission in maintaining a solid internet presence and actively communicating what they do and how they service because they're just fantastic people. And I've referred them into an entity that has direct experience within their service group area who's going to fix that for them. And we have decided to not engage this community and their YouTube channels and their Twitter feed and their Facebook because ultimately they're really talking to themselves and they are looking to pick a fight So we basically give them increased credibility. But out of the 20 that I crises that I've dealt with in various capacities this year, that's really the only time to do so because of that reason. And you better be right about it, too. And that comes from experience, because if you underestimate the influence of a group and you have no comment, now you run the risk of being viewed as somebody who is complicit in the allegations because you didn't comment. You either don't care or you truly are guilty, uh, and I say guilty in the broad sense, of whatever it is they're accusing you of. You really have to evaluate the degree of influence and be right in that, and that comes from experience. But again, that's few and far between. I will say this. I see a lot of organizations not wanting to comment, not because they shouldn't comment. The entity that's asking questions, whether it's a traditional news organization, an influencer, on social media, blog posts, or things like that, you know, is, is some degree of influence and you need to engage them. They tend to not because they are uncomfortable with the questions. Mm-hmm. It is not fun for them to answer about themselves. And even if in some cases, again, there's a modicum of truth to what the entity is raising and inquiring about. And I would say if your reason for not addressing them is because you feel that the question's uncomfortable or you feel that the influencer is not giving you a fair shake, by itself, but they have a degree of influence, I would say, think again, because your absence will speak volumes to the audiences that they engage and ultimately could be detrimental for yourself. So that's an area that I see a lot of entities will decline to comment, even though they should. Interesting. Prior to this, we've talked before about things you should be monitoring to know when conversations might be starting about your organization or an individual. Are there particular places that you recommend people monitor on a regular basis that we could share with the listeners? Yeah, this speaks to a larger issue that I think still exists when people think of crisis PR. They think of something catastrophic that's on the traditional cable news outlets that, you know, the big entities like New York Times and Associated Press are descending on there. There's a nervous business leader 
who is shakingly answering questions and sort of a makeshift press conference outside of the corporate walls. And that's when there's a crisis. And I would say, yeah, those certainly do exist, but they are few and far between from the type of crisis that most organizations will face. And they will be when their reputation is called into question in an online platform like Yelp, Google, Facebook, Glassdoor, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of those social media platforms and a rogue blog like medium.com or something like that. And the problem is a lot of organizations aren't monitoring their own internet presence. They have a website, they may post social media on their accounts and everything like that, but they are not watching what other people are saying for that. And here's the kicker. There are free tools any organization can use to do that. I tell every organization that I see, you should set up Google Alerts. Uh, Alerts.google.com, it's free. You set up your keywords with your organization and key executives and others. You put those in quotes and you can set up where you can get them as they are posted, as they happen, or once a day or once a week or things like that. And you get pushed that anything that anybody's talking about you, you get alerted to that. And most of the time, it's just maybe even an update on your website that all of a sudden Google re-indexed, things like that. But you can set it up where within a couple of hours, after somebody posting something, you get a push email that gets alerted to, hey, here's a new piece of content that somebody has put up there and you should take a look at that. So if it is negative, you can look to address it before it cascades a big crisis. And on the social media side, I'm a big fan of TweetDeck. There's sort of a freemium-based pricing model. You can have a free service where you can, again, look at somebody who mentions your social media handles and things like that online and get those push contents to you. But the bottom line is that's where the next crisis is going to occur. And if you don't know it's happening until days, weeks, and sometimes months later, those stuff gets indexed on the first page of Google. And it's a crisis that's weeks, if not years in the making, where all of a sudden an entity is going, how come we're not renewing our customers the way we used to? How come people don't seem to be coming to our website as much? How come the phone's not ringing? And then they Google themselves and they figure out that these comments that were made some time ago are now front and center on the first page of Google that everybody goes and searches for you before they actually decide to buy, right? They're looking for validation that what they've heard from a referral or word of mouth or what they may have seen from an email or a paid digital banner ad from you is actually what you are. And if they Google you and they see something different, it will, best case, delay their buying decision, worst case, kill their buying decision, and they're moving on. And that's a reality. I sell, I tell organizations, don't be the last to know when somebody's talking about you online. That's the new front line of crisis communication. Wow. Honestly, just listening to that, it's like, what have I not done recently that I need to do to make sure that <laughs> everything is okay for all the clients? It's so interesting because Yelp reviews, I remember for a while, were like all the things, you know, everyone was talking about that negative reviews. Do you want to have a Yelp profile? How do you stay off Yelp? How do you change it? How do you, can you get them removed? What do you do? And it's so interesting because in my mind, all those things are absolutely important. But you're right. When I think of a big crisis, I think of like the front page story. And I'm curious to know, is it too late when the media has hit? How do you respond in that moment when it is on the front page? It has hit the airwaves, the TV stations are talking about it. In those cases, can you still turn it around? Tell me a little bit about that experience. Oh, sure. You can turn it around. And particularly is if they're coming to you and allowing you to make a statement, right? Which, look, some people take pot shots at 
you know, the, what I'll call the traditional news media and sort of their transformation over the last generation into an entertainment platform, which I absolutely agree. Like, if you look at all the cable news outlets, regardless of your political leanings, they're all entertainment platforms in one fame or fashion or another, right? Because they're competing with the hundreds of other cable channels, let alone all of the streaming platforms that everybody is watching now to try to capture the eyeballs. And you do that through shock value and entertainment as much as the information that disseminate. But the reality is, is that even in those cases, if there is a crisis, they want to hear from you. They want a statement. They want a comment from you. And you should, obviously, if you're prepared right, or even if you haven't, you should have about an hour to be able to come up with an empathetic and action-oriented message that addresses the issue and at least gives people the understanding that you care and that you're looking to take action. And again, you can do so in a way that doesn't have to admit culpability if none is to be made. Obviously, if you've done something wrong, you should own it and own it quickly so you can move on. But even if you haven't, there's a way to express what's going on with empathy and action and be able to reduce at least the impact that the crisis event would have. Now, I think to your other question, let's say there's a matter that has made news and you didn't respond fast enough. It's now the next day. How do you respond to that one there? You're going to have to spend more time and money in correcting that because you were late to the game, but it is still very much doable. You can still come back with a whole wide range of communications, both, again, internally to the general public for social media, one-on-one engagement with customers and business partners and investors and the general public to say, we hear you, we were late to the game, we're sorry, and here's how we're going to fix that. We should not have been as late as we are in addressing this. And again, you don't have to do it in a way that says you are wrong about whatever it is you're being accused of, but you should at least apologize for the delay in responding because that just gives people the understanding and the perception that you're at best disconnected and worst case, uncaring about that. And that needs to be addressed now. And that may require some paid advertising. You may have to buy the content into there. You may have to get some videos up there and you may have to hire a videographer and it may be days, if not weeks in the making. So I tell people this, it goes back to what I talked about before and it's a pay me now, pay me later strategy. The longer you wait for the crisis to sort of wash over you, the more likely you are to have to repair significant damage to your reputation. And it just becomes an exponential price tag and a time quotient that hopefully you still have in order to get back to normal operation. I've seen way too many organizations wait too long to their permanent detriment. That's just the reality of it. Can you repair it? Yeah, it just takes more time and money. So if you're listening, call Dave right away and get on it. You have to act fast. You have to have a strategy and a plan. I apologize for interrupting. I tell people I'm like a bail bondsman. I hope you never need me, but please have my number on speed (laughs) dial because it'll happen in the middle of the night and you call me. I'll be available, I promise you. Absolutely. Well, Dave, this was so enlightening. I'm so grateful to reconnect, to get this reminder, to know what I need to be doing, what I need to be advising my clients on. And I feel safer always knowing that you are a phone call away. And so it's so great to connect with you. I appreciate all this information and I hope that we can connect again in times when all these crazy crises have been a little bit further behind us to talk about how things have slowed down a little bit. I mean, I hope your business continues to thrive. And I also hope for all of us that things smooth out a little bit more in the world and it feels just a little bit more easygoing. Yeah, I remain a big fan of you. And I will say, I appreciate the well wishes on business. I will say, I don't need to necessarily have as much (laughs) chaos as there is in the world right now. I have full faith and confidence business will be good. 
And if the world writes itself a little bit more back on its axis, I will be the first person to applaud that. Jen, it's great to see you again. I hope all as well, and I look forward to the next time. Sounds good. Have a great one. Thanks for joining us today. Interested in receiving free marketing and public relations resources? Visit IlluminateGreatness.com and subscribe to our newsletter to receive valuable weekly content that will inspire you and help you grow your business. That's IlluminateGreatness.com. Thank you for listening to the Illuminate Greatness podcast brought to you by Olive Creative Strategies.